following episode of Days of Thunder is brought to you as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe to PWOM now to enjoy other fine podcasts talking wrestling of the past, the present, and much, much more. Let's start the show. Thunder Buddies and Travellers Down Thunder Road, it's us, Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway, coming to you as part of the PWOM podcast network. Nearly tripped over it there, Lee, but I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> I'm your party host, your commandant upon Thunder Road, Dave Ryan, and I'm joined by my faithful co-host. It's a late night, it's punchy, it's Stagger Lee Malone. How are you, my friend? Listen, I'm already one whiskey deep at this stage, I'm doing very well. <laughs> A little bit of a, a peer behind the curtain here. We have a, a guest segment coming up at the end that you're going to want to stay tuned for. We have Jeffrey Wessel of this very podcast network, this August podcast network, on uh, to talk about these tapings from this show and the last one because he was at them. And we have a great, extensive and, and entertaining chat uh that is much more entertaining than the actual show we're going to talk about. So please do stay tuned for that. Yeah, but because of that, we've both imbibed already before we even hit record on the main show. So it's going to be loosey-goosey this week on the show, I think. Just like the lads on uh, Thunder itself, when it comes to the second show, we just don't give a fuck. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it's going to be, uh, as you will allude to later, it's going to be very AEW dark this week, I think. Um. Before we get into everything, pal, how has your week been? It's been quite good, actually. Um, yeah, I've got a new laptop, which I am currently recording on for the first time. Ooh, tech upgrades in Thunder Towers. I tell you no what, recession round here, boss. I tell you what, that Thunder money is starting to roll in. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> straight all that, all that Ted Turner cash. <laughs> Listen, it's not just voice of wrestling getting paid by AEW these days. Yeah. <laughs> do you think? Do you think we could hop in our network Slack and and push for uh, our network to be renamed the PWM Superstation? <laughs> I tell you what, it's an idea because <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm absolutely here for that campaign. Um, watch this space, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> But how is the, the new laptop treating you? I upgraded mine over the summer, as I think was uh, recorded or documented on this show at the time. Uh, is it a new world of tech for you? Yeah, like I haven't bought a new PC laptop in, oh, 10 years. <laughs> um, Jesus. And yeah, it's just like, oh, don't know myself these days. Like I've had like tablets and phones and whatever else. But like actually yeah. like, something that i can record on yeah like and it's only when you move from the old one to the new one that you realize like how slow oh. and on its last legs the last one was I, I, like i've been i've had to fear for like i want to say the last year that the the pc is gonna like die on me and like i'll just won't be able to record one week 
So have, having this now, like I can, like like I said to you before, like I'm literally just chilling on the couch now. Highlights of the football on in front of me, talking to yourself, talking to Jeff earlier yeah. on. It's just like God, so so much better. I have I have toyed with the idea of in my little office here, of getting a couch instead of like. Uh, so I love the office chair I got at the mm-hmm. start of the pandemic. Don't get me wrong. But I walk by, you know how like in charity shops, they'll do like a, a couch that's in pretty good nick, pretty cheap. Like I wouldn't mm-hmm. want to buy a full new set of furniture to go in this tiny office, but like a little two seater couch that would fit quite comfortably. And I, I've ha- I have this dream in my head of getting like a metal arm for this microphone, the, the Blue Yeti, mm-hmm. and just lying back on the couch and hanging the arm over my head so that I can recline. But I feel like the boozier podcast like this one, I may actually nod off. <laughs> during so maybe the chair needs to stay for now <laughs> well i mean I, I told you this before like i have the office upstairs which i can't record in right now because it's 20 past 11 on a sunday night yeah. and um my son is asleep but like the, the the room upstairs i have for podcasting and i'm watching wrestling stuff in has like mm. a sofa bed that i bought right. over the summer like i think i paid 100 100 euro for it Mm. like a second hand sofa bed and it's just yeah. it's so comfortable the, yeah, the, the, the I, I, danger is like you say like I'll be talking to yourself sipping on a couple of whiskeys yeah and just kind of like getting a bit too relaxed yeah and we're both of that kind of like um that kind of ephemeral concept of a, a da age well you actually are a da I am just in the dad age range where the the risk of falling asleep on a couch once it's gone dark rises exponentially oh like, i mean absolutely we, we like, were just we, we like yeah. we just talked about like the two of us have had a snooze today <laughs> yeah i this is the thing right so like i i used to joke that so myself and my partner have been together eight years now and before i started going out with her i would like i used to wake up at half six in the morning and i wouldn't go to sleep until like you know one or two or sometimes i'd wake up later like you know say 11 o'clock and i'd stay up right through till four or five do you know i needed very little sleep and i never mm-hmm. slept during the day the idea of a nap was nothing to me and then like she's someone who likes her sleep so i kind of got used to naps for a couple of years then and um i'm just an old man now and uh, since the I, I had stopped for a long time especially when i started this this job of mine a couple of years ago um, actually, when I started teaching four or five years ago, so before that, um, is probably when I stopped because I was working a lot during most days then. But uh, since the pandemic started, Lee, it's been fucking nap central. Because <laughs> it's like, what do you do now that there's no commuting anymore? Because <laughs> I've, I've been working from home since March. There's a kind of dead space in the middle of the day. It's like there's a good bit of gap between when I would finish work and when I have to, like, when, say, when start cooking the dinner. To get home from work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where I would normally, that time that's normally spent getting into and then coming out of work later is now, that that's the golden hour for some napping, let me tell you, friend. <laughs> you need, to start, God, you need this... to start watching, like, Home and Away or Neighbours or something. Ah, <laughs> oh, God, yeah, yeah. I know. We do like to watch some trashy TV from time to time. Like, we'll stick on whatever the... Um, like I'll take out my switch and, and Emma will have her phone and we'll start watching whatever the, the kind of trashy reality show of the minute is, whether it's like I'm a celebrity or, or whatever. It, as much to have something on in the background as anything else. Um, but 
yeah, we, we kind of like, that's that's the next thing is just sticking on daytime TV and falling asleep to it, mm-hmm. I think is the next the next part of the slippery slope. Um, I've had a good week as well. Um, I've kind of like just been watching a load of stuff um, and I talked about it, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to retread stuff I talked about on a different podcast. On Link to the Cast, I kind of got into more detail on some of the stuff I've been watching. Um, but I watched, um, I watched a movie last night that's proper uh, unsettled me and like much as it's funny the night last night started with uh, me Jeff and Chris in a little uh, in a little group chat we have telling you that you need to watch Knives Out which mm-hmm. is one of the like my favourite movies of the last maybe four or five years um, and it ended with me watching maybe one of the most disturbing films I've ever seen in my life what, instead what, was it really in the years 2020 um, <laughs> Yeah, I know. Well, it felt like it. So, like, I watched um, a movie called Possessor, oh, which is a new movie this year. It's by, you know, David Cronenberg, the director. I do. Uh, it's it's his son, Brandon, made it. And, like, I should have known before I started watching it that, like, anything that comes from the mind of the son of David Cronenberg is going to be some unsettling shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't get too deep into it, but, like, it's essentially about... Um, it's this sci-fi horror movie about um, there's this technology that's invented that allows assassins to place themselves into the consciousness of other people to frame them for their assassinations. Oh, by which I mean, so like I'll come up with a very hypothetical, uh, like one of the, the the situations that that occurs in here, and it's like um, Andrea Riseborough who plays the the uh, the the lead in the film. She goes into the consciousness of this guy. And the narrative that her bosses tell her is that it's his girlfriend's father is the target and he needs to she needs to create a situation as him where it looks like the boyfriend got drunk and snapped because the father, played by Sean Bean, uh, is constantly belittling and ridiculing him. So it's to make it look like he snapped and killed him. So there's no hang on, hang on, hang it doesn't on. look like an assassination. Are you saying Sean Bean dies in a movie? Yes, and I will tell you this, my friend, as as somebody who has seen Sean Bean die in many, many movies, this might be the most genuinely disturbing Sean Bean death I've ever seen. I will not describe it because I know this isn't a family show we've got running, but like, you know, there might be people sitting down after their dinner and this will flip their stomachs if I get into it. But uh, suffice to say, it's not an easy watch and I would more, I, I really liked it because I like those kind of head fucky films. But if you're looking for something light, I'd say stick with Knives Out. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't sound like the type of thing I'm gonna watch but I'm glad you enjoyed oh. it <laughs> yeah and I also re-watched um, the Diego Maradona documentary because Maradona yeah, passed that, away that's on my list for this week yeah and, and as Jeff will mention uh, in our segment with him later on he did a Bustin' Balls episode in tribute to Diego Armando Maradona uh, one of the greats and I, I think both of us um, are too young for to remember his pomp you know, Mexico 86. Um, but it's it's fair to say he, he left an indelible print on the game. Um, I, I can't even think of, like, who is the, the wrestling parallel to make non-soccer fans understand how big Maradona was? Like, you want to say Hogan in some ways? Because, you know, um, shall we say... He was known to imbibe and uh, was problematic in some ways, but I don't want to taint him with the Hogan stink either. Yeah, I don't know. Hogan feels a bit like 
it, it's an odd comparison because like wrestling footage is readily available from like what the mid 70s on basically in like the bigger mm. territories so it's almost like you, you can't make that kind of comparison um yeah. like i know growing up like i'm a couple of years older than you like i know growing up like before there was before there was the internet and youtube and stuff like that like growing up like people talked about pele and maradona and bests like they were the, they were the three that were the greatest ever mm. and the only one you ever saw footage of was like you had you had select best footage you had a little bit of footage of pele from a couple of world cups but it was maradona like maradona was the one you saw like you had footage from his his um his pocket days his his argentina like the world cups his his barcelona days napoli like you you saw basically his whole career like by the mid 90s like you could watch his whole career on videotape and mm. like for me like when people say oh you know pele like it's very hard for me to say pele is one of the best ever like now because mm. It's all word of mouth with Pele. Yeah. But like Maradona, you just have to click on YouTube now and you can watch hours and hours of Maradona just like I, I think I said it on Twitter at the time, like genius is used far, far too often in a football sense. Maradona yeah. was an actual like he was a Picasso when it comes to yeah. football. Nearly mythical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like but uh, yeah, look, uh, I'd love to dive into it more, but we've got quite a, a sizable show to get to. Maybe when we're really stuck for content in 99, we'll start doing more football stuff. Mm. <laughs> Who knows? Um, before we get into Thunder this week, pal, um, let's talk our beers of Thunder. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned you were one whiskey deep. What are you rocking this evening? At the start of our recording, I had a pair of uh, Sudden Comfort and Limes. I'm now down to half a sudden comfort line. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, a, a, a lovely, relaxing, like I say, it's a, a late Sunday night recording, so I said I'd go with something I know, something I like, to have a nice, mm-hmm. enjoyable chat with a couple of friends, and I have to say, this has been, I know the show is only starting, but like, <laughs> this has been a good evening. Yeah, it's been a good evening. I have, uh, I have my, I, well, I had past tense a Jemison ginger and lime, and uh, now I'm on the Rebel Red. I thought I'd bring back an old favorite for this week, a uh, bit of a comfort drink. I tell you what, um, you're, you're a man for mixing the drinks. Oh yeah, oh yeah, but like I won't see, I won't. If I was to go on and we had like a big multiple hour long recording session, like if I'm if I'm in the house, I'm not like going whiskey beer whiskey beer whiskey mm. beer or anything like that I'm not, I'm not doing that like if i'm on a night out what i'll do is i'll have beers for a while and then i'll finish off the evening with a nice spirit or two um or when i'm recording at home i might kick the night off with a nice mixer like a jemison ginger and lime and then for the kind of because you don't want to be down on that you want to be savoring mm. that so in this really warm recording studio that's why i crack the beer as well so that i can have a little bit of refreshment yeah, as i'm enjoying myself um i don't think i don't think i've gotten proper there was one uh i know there was one podcast in maybe the first year i remember things got a bit fuzzy towards the end <laughs> and it was after that i had to strategize a bit more on how i i deal with my beverages uh, and it's since then i've instituted the emergency jug of water at the back of the room policy <laughs> so that i don't just keep cracking beers if i'm thirsty <laughs> 
And that's that's to improve the quality of our programming here at Days of Thunder. Uh, again, maybe the uh, the all beer fueled lengthy podcast is uh, is more of that Patreon content. Jesus, oh, imagine. <laughs> absolute libelous trash fire <laughs> that would come out of that good lord um well look let, let's just jump into it uh, without further ado it's thunder episode 36 dated october 15th 1998 but recorded the week before in indianapolis indiana we're back again and we have Pyro and Ballyhoo alerting us that we are just 10 days away from Halloween Havoc. I, I, I couldn't believe that we're getting one more pay-per-view in before the year 2020 ends, but it looks like we're going to make it, my friend. Yeah, um, it, it, it's strange that we're going to start 2021 on the build-up to uh, Starcade 98. Sorry. Yeah, it, it's cool that um we're ending 2020, which has been a shitty year by all accounts, Uh with one of and now I know it has um one of the all time worst WCW matches on the show, but like I would say Halloween Havoc ninety eight is is definitely uh, an iconic show mm-hmm. um for a number of reasons that we will get into on that that podcast, but it feels appropriate that we finish off the year with a bang, uh literally and metaphorically. Um but uh tonight we've been promised on Thunder anyway, ten days away. Uh some non-specific action-packed stuff uh, that happened on Nitro. Uh, I think Lee Marshall mentions that on uh, on Nitro, it was so action-packed they had both fights and melees. Yeah, you, you want to talk about uh, generic comments. Like, it's just like, yeah, let's yeah. just talk about how this stuff happened, but we haven't got a fucking clue what's going to happen. <laughs> we may need to start strategizing on kind of... Uh, what content can we do? We can't have Jeff on every week. Um, but when we get to these uh, second taping thunders that are this sparse, because there's only six matches on this show for us to get into, it's like, uh, can we do some sort of uh, so, some sort of uh, mini game or something like that to keep <laughs> things going along, to keep people going, oh, it's a second taping Days of Thunder. Am I fuck listening to that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, we're really gonna have to come up with something, all right? Because uh, yeah, some if if we didn't have Jeff for this show, oof. it could be rough. And speaking of rough, our opening contest is Sick Boy versus Van Hammer, uh, to which I just wrote my notes. Jesus. Uh, well, t- <laughs> like today, I learned that Sick Boy is from parts unknown. Yeah, he is. God, there's a lot of people. They still haven't been able to charge parts unknown, and yet so many are from there. There maybe must be um, a big place, like. I would imagine that the Parts Unknown rec centre was quite busy when all these guys were growing up there. Um, I I always find it funny, and it's something I thought of later on when we get to our first heated match of the night, that something in these few weeks where we've seen the, the double shots, the crowd is so low energy at the start of these mm-hmm. second ones. I, I It baffles me they don't start these shows with a hot match. Like we've, I think you've said it before specifically. Like, just throw out some cruiserweights, even if it's not not a match with high stakes. I would love a match with high stakes to open a show, but I'm I my bar for demanding isn't that high. And surely, Lee, wrestling logic. Like, if you're booking a show, you want to start a TV with a hot match so that people who are just kind of browsing past a super station see a crowd going crazy for some flips or some brawling or something like that. Like they they ended the last show with the the. Hall surprise appearance and beatdown. 
and like the crowd were up like we said like the crowd reacted to that um, yeah. like how hard would it be to throw out I don't know Juventud Guerrera and like uh, fucking, I'm trying to think of someone like Juventud Guerrera and El Dandy just let them have a six minute match yeah. sorry I think you'll find after last week he's pronounced El Dandy <laughs> <laughs> But like, yeah, just let them go out, do a lot of flips and fucking a few lucha moves for six minutes. There you go, the crowd is still up, and then you can go to your fucking sick boy Van Hammer match. Yeah, but consequently, because this is how they start the show, about two thirds of the show appears to take place in a fucking crypt. Mm-hmm. That's how bad the atmosphere is. Oh my god, they were. It was just so flat. Um. During the entrances for this match, Tony spends time and it's one of a couple occasions of this show where I don't know if the commentary is promising or threatening something. Um, They're saying we're going to see the footage of Chucky from Monday, more of which we'll talk about later, plugging The Bride of Chucky, which is the new movie that's opening that weekend in the States. Um, I think the only highlight I have of this match, Lee, um, is Bobby Heenan, who starts questioning to himself early on in this match whether if you were with Sick Boy somewhere, you would introduce him to your friends as Mr. Boy, or, oh, this is my friend Sick. Like, is, is that his actual given name on his birth cert? Sick Boy. Yeah, it's a strange one. Like, Sick, sick Boy should probably be one word, shouldn't it? Yeah, I, th- I I want to say it's one word in train spotting. Um, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, I, I will look this up as we're talking, but uh, it's... Um, like, yeah, it's, you could imagine his name being, like, Sick Boy Steve fucking Swanson or something. <laughs> Sick Boy Steve Swanson. <laughs> I tell you, so, Lee, how you're not booking a territory is a crime. Listen, it has to be illiterate. That's one of the key rules in wrestling. It certainly is illiterate. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, you know, just being sick sick boy oh my god it actually is in train spotting it's two words what yeah johnny lee miller as sick boy ah uh, no that has to be like it, uh, that's so weird yeah i don't like that it's, at all. it's one word it's sick yeah. boy yeah it's not sick boy yeah it's, it's not it's boy like, comma it's, sick it's it's like the whole um kick boxing thing it's no it's kickboxing it's not yeah. kick boxing it's boxing but with kicks it's kick boxing yeah exactly Uh, so yeah there's there's back and forth corner strikes at the start Uh, sick boy goes out and hammer does oh my god this slingshot axe handle he does to the outside is the most pathetic thing I've ever seen in my life look he tried did he (laughs) did he though he did a plancha gravity tried Listen, it's fucking... It's Van Hammer. They've been trying since 1991 to push this guy. Yeah. God like, loves a try. And here's the thing, like... Van Hammer is now a hippie. Yeah. In what ne- in what way does his, the name Van Hammer work with being a hippie? I don't know. You can't own a hammer, man. <laughs> <laughs> fucking knows, man. Or maybe it's like, oh, he could have been, like, Volkswagen Van Hammer. Volkswagen. <laughs> <laughs> Volkswagen Van Hammer Mi- versus Mini Sick Boy Va- Steve Mini- Swanson <laughs> Mini Van Hammer Hel- Helsing 
Oh god, I'm just picturing like a kind of like a line of merch, which is like a Volkswagen uh, van with like Van Hammer's head just badly photoshopped onto it. Oh, I mean, Jesus. I mean, you've you've seen Herbie the Beetle. Yeah, this is all this is... distinctly more entertaining than the actual match was. Um, I, I was just kind of said. I kind of said at this point, I was like, it's a big red flag as to what kind of thunder this is going to be because we have these two in the ring and the commentary could not be fucked talking about this match. No, they didn't care. Whenever there's there's a show where I know usually in the first match of the thunder, the lads are trying to recap you on what the important stuff that's coming up tonight. But usually then that stops and they start talking about the match when the match starts picking up pace. When they are supremely distracted for almost the entire match, I know in my head now what type of show this is going to be. Mm-hmm. And I mean, look, when you when you actually concentrate on the action in this match, yeah, you could see why they chose to talk about other stuff. Yeah, the we will not we will put you all out of your misery here because I know you're all on tenterhooks to to hear who won this classic. Uh, Volkswagen Van Hammer wins with his terrible Alabama slammer that is so like not impactful that he nearly just gently lands sick boy Steve Swanson back on his feet. I tell you what, Booker T must be absolutely sickened in his deathbed that, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that Van Hammer has taken a 110 street slam and just made it into a nothing move. It, it absolutely, it looks like a, a terrible transition spot, but it's the finish mm-hmm. here. Um, we then get the the kind of uh, the the real edgy four horsemen ad, uh, which leads us into a lengthy flashback from Nitro, not the only one on this show. Uh, it's Bischoff and his security uh, swarming Flair's limo to keep them out of the building. Uh, and then we get what ended up being like an ongoing thing uh, that night on Nitro, which is Flair bringing out the owner of the building in Chicago who cut a promo saying that this is a four horsemen building and he has a skybox with ten beautiful women <laughs> and Bischoff I, is getting stuck with the bill. I tell you what. He cut a better promo than most WWE guys in 2020. Yeah, he was saying this is the home of the Blackhawks, this is the home of the Chicago Bulls, and tonight this is the home of the Horsemen, which is a great line. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he, I love that this is 1998, so he absolutely shoehorns in six-time world champions, the Chicago Bulls. Oh, um, yeah, oh, of course you do. Um, so Bischoff then has a tantrum with Dillinger, because Dillinger's like, well, look, it's his building and he's a skybox. We can't actually stop him from going into the building he owns. But Bischoff, all night throughout all these segments that they show now, is insistent that it's his building because he has a rental lease on it. Mm-hmm. And, I, um, and I love that, the, like, it is, like, true that, you know, Bischoff may have leased a building or whatever company may have leased a building. Yeah. But the skyboxes are their own thing and, like... Yeah. Whoever owns that skybox can do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. At any time. <laughs> yeah, I, I think actually, so this is one of the weeks where I think the whole Bischoff trying to keep the horseman off TV thing actually worked mm-hmm. because it was a self-contained angle that seemed to run throughout the night and delivered on the guys showing up them. Yeah. You know, whereas the way they've done it on Thunders and some Nitros is either they're just not on the show or they do like they did last week. And as we now have the benefit of hindsight and we see what happens later in this show, it was obviously that they wanted to only show the horseman once, but it was at the very end of the second yeah. taping um, without thinking about the TV audience who were tuning in last week thinking they were definitely getting the horseman and didn't. Um, but we, we cut then to Bischoff in the ring later. 
uh, calling it the Bischoff Center. He calls he calls out uh, Dillinger and JJ and berates them. And I love this. Oh. He, he calls Waff- Waffle House Junkie Doug Dillinger. Yeah, he calls him a Waffle House Junkie. He calls JJ an Eric Bischoff wannabe. Then rounds back on Dillinger and calls him a goof, which is my f- <laughs> my favorite PG burial uh, that wrestlers do to each other is calling them each other goofs. Mm-hmm. Um, Bischoff storms back to the box then later, where building security is standing by. Uh, him and the owner have the same argument before Bischoff goes for him and security takes him down. Flair comes out, loving the scene he is witnessing, wooing and stripping off his blazer in celebration as Bischoff is hauled out of the building. Uh, I, I, t- I tell you what, I love the consistency of this because as they're making their way into the building, yeah, I think it's Arn that says to Bischoff, you better not touch him. Yeah. You know, he, he's just like, you better not touch him. Um, I think it's General Bruce MacArthur, is that his name? Yeah, it's um, the MacArthur. It's, yeah, I can't remember what the guy's name was, but yeah, it's something MacArthur anyway. But he's yeah. like, you know, don't touch him, don't touch him as he's walking by. And then all Bischoff does is, is like gently shove him at the skybox and yeah. security. There, there has to be like 10 security just instantly. Oh my god, they're all over him like a wet flannel. Like it's it's they they're just on him and take him down. Did you notice? I was going to bring this up. Did you notice the the well? It wasn't at the time, but in hindsight now, is the cameo in this segment where the security takes him down. No. Did you did you not find the man that Bischoff was talking to at the door to the skybox familiar? Is that the guy from the Last Dance? Yes, it is. Okay, that's what I thought at the time. Yeah, yeah. The the mustachio guy who has a, like a good friendship with mm-hmm. uh, Michael Jordan is it, MJ, what, yeah. are are they playing cards or what is it they play? No, I think don't they play pennies? Oh, that's it. Yeah, they flick it at the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was trying. I knew they played something. Yeah, but I'm I'm almost certain it was him. I don't know. Are there just that is just the look people had it working in that building at the time? And I I, I, te- I tell you what, um, Ric Flair coming out when they do take down Bischoff. Yeah, and Flair comes out, and I tell you what. I've never seen a Fortnite dance in person. <laughs> but if that isn't the most Fortnite dance I've ever seen. Oh my god, could you imagine the money you could make off a Ric Flair DLC pack for Fortnite? I, like and some... do you know what? I was just about to bring this up. <laughs> do you know who needs a Fortnite pack? Who? AEW. Oh, how have they not gotten on that yet? You think what? like you get a John Moxie skin with like a barbed wire bat as your like harvesting tool. Yeah. Oh, I mean fucking instant recognition and like Yeah. Uh it's just something they like they, they need to like get onto Epic Games about. Yeah, license to print money, if you ask uh-huh. me. <laughs> um look, we'll we'll move on from that. Oh, I did appreciate at the end of this segment, by the way, uh in a line that popped the rest of commentary brain saying, Boy, he's gonna enjoy eating off those little metal plates. Ha 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 as he's hauled off in the squad car. Uh, next up, we have uh, K-Dog Conan versus La Parca in full mariachi gear, which got an enormous Aww. pop out of me. <laughs> How fucking great does he look? He is the coolest man on earth. Mm-hmm. Um, Conan absolutely breeds some life back into this crowd. Um, he is such a star in 1998. This is what should have opened the show. Yeah, they go absolutely go. Yeah. crazy for him. Um, I will say, the match 
starts fast for the standards of La Parca and Conan in 98, but very slow by normal people's standards. <laughs> um, What do we have here? Conan attempts the, the, the bit where the kind of you run into the corner, the man is coming in behind you and you kind of spring out of the corner over mm. his head. But as he's coming down, he gets low blowed, which is clever. Uh, La Parca cares not for the crowd's booze and just keeps doing his thing. Conan hits a beautiful looking outsider edge in this match for two. It's not like, an outsider edge. It's a uh, crucifix powerbomb. Yes. Yes. I suppose. Yeah. That's what they, they say. It's an outsider edge variation. Mm-hmm. Um, but it looked like I was not expecting him to try something that required this much effort, nor for it to look this smooth. Um, so fair play to him. Um. This, I, I felt, is when it becomes apparent the, the lack of effort or thought that comes into the Lucha Lads in WCW. Because not only, as I said, should this have opened the show to get the crowd going, but, Lee, again, we put on those booker hats. And if I'm booking this show and I want luchadors in a match, these are the two I'm keeping as far apart from each other. Not because I think there's like a money match on the horizon, but because these are, with all due respect the two slowest men in this entire division. <laughs> like, you need to put one of these guys in with a quick flippy dude who'll do all the work and let them be the base. If they're that's also, what you're going to do. They're also two of the stars so they know they don't have to bump. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Two low energy, sleepy men who are just already banged up. Um, mm-hmm. And they're just, yeah, they're, they're, they know they're just coasting on the reaction. Uh, we get a face buster and tequila sunrise for a Conan win here in this match. And I love in the replay here, uh, Brain calling La Parca bones. <laughs> it, it's a consistent throughout the night, but the replays are like pretty much the highlights of all the matches. Yeah. Because as the night is going on, Shivani is getting more and more annoyed with Heenan. Oh, yeah. It, by the end of the, this night, like Tony has pulled reams of hair out of his head, tried to keep <laughs> keep brain on message, and I I think um I think Shivani was like the producer of the commentators at this stage. I would say so. Yeah. So I imagine that he was legit, like just like just, just say the fucking line. Come yeah, on, let's <laughs> say the thing. We get a tease for WCW Saturday night this week, which will feature Kidman, Saturn, Conan, Jericho versus Finley, and Scott Hall. Um, then we move into our next match which is Fit Finley versus the reigning IWGP heavyweight champion oh no it's not sorry no my no, apology I, I don't know why I wrote um, I don't know why I wrote Norton here because it's it's Scotty Riggs not Scott, Scott Norton Scotty I was just Norton. on autopilot <laughs> yeah I think I just started writing Scott and then just uh, like auto filled in my head yeah. no unfortunately it's Riggs <laughs> um so Brain tries to give uh, fair play to him. So the start of this match, they're talking about Hogan versus Warrior again. And he's trying so hard because I think he senses that like actual Razlan fans that are tuning in aren't, they are buying into this. So he's trying to put some actual tangible stakes on this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's talking about how, you know, Hogan, before Warrior showed up, Hogan was talking about how it's only a matter of time before he gets his belt back. And Brain is pointing out, like, if Warrior beats him again, how far away does that put Hogan from his world title? Not far enough, says I. But, <laughs> you know, and and I, 
an impressive try from from Heenan to put some actual stakes on this. I think apart from Hogan's reputation, <laughs> I also think like he he says like you know Hogan is like a a big star and like he's a a great wrestler and he's been to the top and stuff like that. And then he goes, but you know he's also a lousy piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to spend too much time giving him credit here so I just want to remind you he's trash um, this was an incredibly dull match ladies. so bad I wrote nothing down except mm-hmm. the finish which was a, a Finley tombstone and I want to bring up because I know we've talked about it on another podcast but I don't know if, we, if we've talked about it at length on this show we appeared uh, we were delighted about this time last year to appear on the the pro rest paradise over on pwtorch.com with our good friend alan kunan i, be, I believe it was uh february though was it jesus christ because it was when we still could see each other oh fuck because i knew it was up in that kfrc but uh, i couldn't remember if it was the last one of 2019 or the one of 2020 that is I depressing th- i think we got to go to that show and i think we got a ringside show and yeah. i think that was the end of it god Feels like a different lifetime. But uh-huh. during that discussion, Lee, uh, we were talking about our favourite WCW guys and, and Alan, Alan raised buried an, Fit Finley. Yeah, he raised an interesting <laughs> point by burying Fit Finley. Saying that of those guys, you know, like there's an like there's that trench of guys like a, a Regal or a Dave Taylor mm. or those guys that are kind of big daz that have a reputation for being a worker's worker. And Alan put it to us that of that kind of trench of wrestlers, the most overrated one of all time, or at least overhyped, is Finlay. Um, he said Finlay never did anything for him. Mm-hmm. And like, Alan is someone that's gone back and watched all the world of sports stuff. Yeah. And like he, he basically just said like Finlay is just, he's not, he's not a world of sport guy. Yeah. He's not a particularly good US style guy. Yeah. And he's not exactly, you know, at this stage, like a great brawler. Yeah. So he does nothing for anybody in any style. Yeah. I was into him a little more during his WWE run for a while. Yeah, because he was an old man that just hit people hard. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I like, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, I definitely agree if we're talking about this period of time that I just don't see it. I think every time no. we've seen him on Thunder, it's just been paint by numbers mm-hmm. there's nothing interesting going on now look I, I, I did point out with this like he's not I, I think I tweeted about it I said like he's not exactly got the most exciting dancing partner in the world in Scotty Riggs maybe Scott Norton actually would have been a much better <laughs> big lad to fucking batter each other around might have been a more entertaining match but at the same time I'm thinking like god I every time I see him now come up on the screen I'm just like, oh fuck. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it it's one of those cases. Like you, you see him coming out, or they mention him on commentary, and you're just like, oh, I'm gonna have to sit through a ten minute Finley match, and it's just. Yeah. If there's actually anybody um out there listening to this that was a big Finley fan at this time, or as you mentioned there, Lee, during the World of Sport era, uh, before he was the kind of broken old man battering lads in in WWE. If you were into him and would like to explain to us why, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot or ridicule you or anything like that, I genuinely would like to understand what the appeal was. 
uh, tweet us at WCW Thunderpod or drop us a DM or something like that because I actually would love to hear the case for Finley on the show um, because looking back now with 2020 eyes I'm just not having it mm. um, but as I said he won with the tombstone anyway uh, the, the main takeaway from the, the whole match is that uh, Tony supports the 32 County Ireland because he says Finley is from Ireland good man Good man. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> um, we get the uh, DDP Goldberg hype video, which is pretty good. Uh, and then we get into what I think was the the single shimmering jewel on this show, Lee. And that mm-hmm. is a cruiserweight title defense that pitted Billy Kidman, 23 years old at this point, uh, as is pointed out during this match, uh, versus a man of a similar age in Kaz Hayashi. And this was a lovely little match, wasn't it? That's such a good little match. Like, did yeah. these are the matches that like we've said this before. These are matches the reason why like, we did this show. Yeah. Just to discover nice little TV matches like this. This match isn't. It's not a match of the year contender. No. It's not a match we'll particularly remember in like what three months time. Yeah. But like when we put on a show and they go, oh, you know, tonight you have Billy Kidman defending the cruiserweight title against Kaz Hayashi. You just kind of go, mm. ah, that's nice. That that's yeah. what I want. Yeah, when you see that match come out, you turn it. There's a, like a deep breath of relief. Where it's like, yeah, that's oh, exactly there's it. something yeah. on this show. I don't um, need this to be blow away. I just need yeah. this to be good. And I think that's a common thing. Every time we've seen Kazayashi, we're just like, oh, thank God, mm-hmm. <laughs> we get some quality here. Um, what I was surprised about in this match, Lee, you know, for a guy who has only been in WCW for a cup of coffee, and that they clearly aren't doing a huge amount. I know they have the angle going on with Sonny Ono, which happens, you know, there's a bit of development on that during this match. But, like, in the grand scheme of things, they're not doing much with Kaz. But in spite of that, he gets a lot of this match, I thought. Um, it's really structured to make you buy Kaz as a contender for the mm-hmm. uh, for the, the cruiserweight strap. Um, and I really liked it. And I don't know, I would suspect, knowing WCW, a lot of this was Kidman that he put this match together to make Kaz look good so that one, Kaz looked good and two, that it felt like Kidman actually beat somebody worth beating. Mm-hmm. Um, and he very little of it is on... Guy, yeah, yeah I, I, I imagine very little of it is on WCW saying, hey, uh, make this guy look good. I, I Look, I can imagine that they were told, look, you have anywhere between, you know, 10 and 15 minutes. Go yeah. as long as you want. We'll put, like, we'll do an ad or whatever. Um, I imagine they were just told to go out and fill time. Yeah. I, I can't imagine, that, like you say, there was any much more to put in than that. Yeah, especially on the second show of a taping. Mm-hmm. I imagine there's a lot of people backstage are already gone home. Um, so Kaz's confidence, the, the story of the match, his confidence builds more and more as he gets more of the match. Uh, and then his confidence gets too great because he attempts a top rope moonsault, eats shit because Kidman rolls out of the way. And that gives Kidman the opening to uh, to to start building towards a finish. He goes for a shooting star press about halfway through the match. But Kaz, I love this. He sells it really well. He desperately scrambles up to the top rope uh, to try and stop him from doing the shooting star press. Kidman knocks him down. You think, oh, he's going to do it now. But Kaz, again, desperately gets gets back up and and, uh, lands a a sick looking top rope jawbreaker uh, followed by I think on our run of thunder so far not that there's a huge competition for it the coolest looking brain buster we've seen so far on the show fucking I yelped watching like that's a fucking (laughs) that was a brain buster he folded him up like a fucking accordion on this brain buster Mm -hmm. I loved it uh, for a near fall 
he goes up top, but Kidman intercepts uh, while he's in midair with the drop kick, uh, which got the crowd out of their chairs. Uh, Kaz attempts a roll up, and then after he kicks out of that, goes for a, a gorgeous bridging German suplex mm-hmm. to finish, but can't. Uh, Kidman, again, you know, that golden rule of wrestling, don't powerbomb Kidman. He reverses into the face buster, shooting star press, and a win. Uh, really, really enjoyed this match. It finishes off with an angle where Sonny Ono comes out and he starts lacing Kaz with kicks until Kidman comes back and makes the save. Uh, what did you think of this one, buddy? I like, like I said at the, the start of it, um, a really enjoyable match. Like this, like, like I said, I went through an ad. It was just like, just good action. Like this is this is the kind of stuff we want to see more of. Like, um, mm-hmm. like Kaz, like coming into this match, wasn't really getting any kind of push at all. But yeah. I felt like this was very much, like you said, a Kaz match. Like I came yeah. out of this match wanting to see Kaz a lot more. Like I, mm-hmm. I'm very much an into Kidman, but like I want to see more of Kaz at this stage. Yeah, um, definitely. And one thing I picked up on, and I know Tanae is on commentary for this. He says, you know, uh, Ultimo Dragon is Kaz's hero. I think he said he looks up to him and like kind of um, styles himself after Ultimo, and you know it's not 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 a bad guy to style himself after. No, but if if you kind of pick up on this, maybe you picked up on this as well. Um, Kaz does a lot of moves that a lot of other people do. So Kaz does the Eddie Guerrero slingshot senton. Yeah, he does. Kaz does the backbreaker followed by a moonsault, just like Muda. Mm. He actually does the very same style of backbreaker. Um, he does the brain buster very similar to um, Dragonwood um, the German suplex with the bridge again you see that a lot from um, a lot of uh, Japanese juniors stuff like that and it just like I felt like it was like kind of like digging into the people that he looked up to yeah yeah that's really clever and the more I think about that now the more I'm like wow now I really enjoy that match even more like, in hindsight like, the, the snap runner. Who have we seen win a lot of matches with that? Rey Mysterio. Yeah. And uh, the lovely snap runner it was, in mm-hmm. fairness. Um, yeah. God, that's a lot of food for thought there now. I might rewatch that match. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, just one of them things. It was like yeah. when, when he did the, the slingshot sent on, it's when I went, oh, that's Eddie's move. Mm. And it was just like, it was just one of them things that kind of dawns on me as the match was going on. Yeah. Uh, we get a flashback to Nitro next where Scott and Buff nearly get into it. Uh, Judy Bagwell is back and tries to stop it till Scott calls her an old bag and says he'd put her on the mat. And at that point, Buff has heard enough and he jumps him. Scott ultimately triumphs in the little scuffle and says that anybody who stands up to him will get put down. And then, I'm not going to labour on it too much, Lee. We see what is an all-time horrible Nitro segment. Chucky interrupting Rick Steiner. Now, I think you were talking about this last week. Is like, how bad was it and things like that? You hadn't seen this, had you? No, I don't remember seeing this in real time. I don't, obviously, I never went back to watch it. Yeah. Uh, what did you think? Oh, I tell you what. Chucky cuts a hell of a promo. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's trash. It's absolutely fucking trash. Like, it, but like I, it, I don't see the point of it at all. It's just me, or like, does it make absolutely no sense? It no. makes, like, it makes Rick look like the heel that's going to get his comeuppance at the pay-per-view. <laughs> like, I think the point of it seems to be that, okay, there's a movie coming out and that's what they're promoting. Fine. Yeah. But Chucky wants to be a director and Scott Steiner is going to be the star of his movie. Yeah. Okay. 
Yep. It's a, it's a, it was a bad segment. I think I tweeted out the YouTube link to the full segment there a couple of months ago when this, the teasing first started. It's real bad. It's real bad. And it goes on about a minute, minute and a half longer than you saw in that highlight package. And it's, it's rough. But anyway, we have a we have a Warrior Hogan, the, the operatic ad airs again, and then mm-hmm. the cat comes out and cuts a frankly shite promo. Yep. Uh, uh, his usual stuff about being the greatest, saying that he's undefeated here and in the karate world, showing the, the three times sign up. He says there isn't a man alive who can beat him. <clears throat> the crowd, he says, are chanting for Jackie Chan, but I can barely hear fucking anything here. Uh, I love the commentator. I think it's Tanae that says, why is he calling out Jackie Chan? And Shivani goes, I don't know. Uh, yeah, uh, he says his eight-year-old son is taller than Jackie Chan, and in the the only good line of the promo, he said, "I will kick his head off." Uh, he calls out anyone from the back when a fan rushes the ring. Uh, security rushes in as the cat takes him down. A truly bizarre segment. A fan, you say? Yeah. Yes. Hmm. Interesting. Somehow, I don't think it was a fan, Dave. Somehow I don't think it was. I mean, that flat back bump was a bit too crisp. Yeah, I was going to say, do you, do you <laughs> often have uh, fans who not only know how to take bumps, but are conservatively 6'2", maybe 280? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking Tyson Tomko in the crowd, basically. <laughs> anyway, it was a real bad angle. I don't know what it achieved. Um, it just it felt fill, it painfully awkward. That's what it did. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have what I think may have been the match, uh, your your av- your weekly match where Lee nearly quits the show, where it's Chavo Guerrero with Pepe versus Prince Ikea, the Flatpak Sovereign. This time I wrote Jesus, but in all caps. <laughs> I, I think this is possibly the worst matchup for us personally. Yeah. It's real bad. Uh, it's so dull. Uh, Chavo still has Pepe, and whatever we were wondering during the summer how people were getting into Chavo we could not understand it mm-hmm. that's gone now Lee <laughs> it's almost no one like cares. having a, a good heel and Eddie to oppose him was the reason yeah uh, Tanae gives us an update that Psychosis is now part of the LWO which I think is the only notable thing to talk about mm-hmm. in this match they are going so slow and doing holes and Pepe shtick, which I think at this point in this show is the last thing this crowd needed. Yep. I think at one stage, the two of them are just pushing each other. Yeah. And I mean, it's not the start of the match. It's a good four minutes into the match. They yeah. They're just shoving each other. And it's not like a big heated feud where these guys have a lot of recent history. Like this is, nope. this is like his second match back. Um, I, I will say Ikea grabs um, Pepe at one stage. Yeah. And Chavo was like terribly upset. But yeah. Ikea is ultimately a coward because he won't actually break the fucking dumb stick. Yeah. And the other thing is as well, like he the or the the timing of what happens, it's like he very delicately puts Pepe back down and then Chavo attacks once there's no more danger. It's very it's weird. Chavo takes Ikea down in a rest hold and Tanae and Brain get really bored and start trying to pop each other, and this is this is um one of the points at which Tony completely loses it and tries to get them on point because they just start laughing. Uh, is this one where they're doing horse puns? And he's just like, yeah, do you got oh, any yeah. more horse jokes? <laughs> yeah, uh, they're, they're, they're trying to pop each other with the horse jokes. And uh, Shivani, have you got, as goes, have you got, before they get back up from the mat, have you got any more horse jokes? And it's just dead air for like about five seconds. 
Yeah, and then he does. Doesn't he do the bit about the you know, he needs a lozenge yeah. because he's yeah. a little horse, uh, which I I I've up with. Uh, eventually, is just totally exasperated by that stage. Yeah, uh, like proper gorilla monsoon levels of exasperated mm-hmm. with Bobby. <laughs> uh, eventually. Ikea gets caught by the tornado DDT and loses again. Fuck him. So the- <laughs> this is, I just love this double shot is his first TV tapings back and he loses two matches. Dave, listen, we know where <laughs> Ikea is going. Yeah. We so need. I feel safe in saying fuck him. We need, we need this pain to get to the glory of the artist eventually. Um, more on that in a long time. <laughs> um, DDP versus Goldberg ad again. You know, fair play. They are hitting the two big mm-hmm. uh, matches on this pay-per-view over and over again. Uh, Page is out with Tony, who he refers to as T-Bone, which I absolutely creased up at. Hang uh, on, he, he's in... Does that mean Tony is in... Uh, what's that fucking shitty group on Raw? <laughs> Retribution. Yeah. Isn't that T-Bar? T-Bone, T-Bar. Same fucking thing. Same thing. <laughs> No, Tony is way more over than Retribution. You take that back. Isn't T-Bar... Or T-Bar... What is it? T-Bar? T-Bar. Isn't that... that, um, Dominic Dijakovic? No. Shane Hayes, isn't isn't it? Hold on. What's his name? Miller? What's his fucking... Yeah, the guy from TMDK. Yeah, the former TMDK guy. Yeah. Hold on, I'm going to find out. I thought he was Brother Mace. I thought Mace was... um, the guy that did commentary. Can you tell that we don't watch WWE anymore? Listen, I previewed Survivor Series last week. <laughs> Which is really astounding <laughs> because it turns out it is Dijakovic. <laughs> You're joking. Yeah, I just googled it. T-Bar WWE, Dominic Dijakovic. So which one is Shane Haste? I think he's... Hold on. He's Slapjack. That's who he is. Right, Okay. So there you are. So, D- Ma- what's his name? Dion Madden. Dio Madden. Yeah. Dio Madden. He's the um. He's, he's mace. mace. Yeah. And me um, is destruction. Hold on. Me uh, um. This is this is great radio. Reckoning. Reckoning. That's the one. <sighs> I tell you what, they're no flock. No, they're not. Um. What is it? Because is Mercedes Martinez the other one? No, she doesn't exist anymore. She doesn't exist. She's gone now. Yeah. Oh, God. I watched Survivor Series, by the way. It was shite. Uh, but anyway, back to, <laughs> back to Thunder. <laughs> um, Paige is here with T-Bone. He says he's on cruise control. <laughs> and cruise control means that he is jacked up, baby. I think that would he- mean the opposite of cruise control. You would think. Not for Paige. He, he's a different kind of cat. Uh, he makes... Uh, this is like, you know, classic. Paige really thinks through his promos. And this is a re- he makes a really good, compelling point here. Which uh, you would be milking in video packages nowadays. He says at the pay-per-view, the pressure is not on him. He's just a guy. He isn't the one who's undefeated. He isn't the one with the belt. Mm-hmm. No one thinks he can beat Goldberg except himself. And he likes it that way. He says, I've been watching you, Goldberg. And Goldberg makes mistakes. And at Halloween Havoc, if Goldberg makes one mistake, he has two words for him. Diamond Cutter. And says he's going to... Uh, don't be surprised if you don't see it coming. Don't be surprised if you feel the bang. Great promo. Oh, God. So good. Yeah. Like, 
you talk about just hitting your points, like getting to the point of everything, the reason you're there, and he just nails it. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's not it's not a long segment. It's only like what maybe three minutes, four minutes. Yeah, if that. But it's absolutely like. I actually think it's the best thing on the show. Yeah, over this taping, he is the star because he has that great match mm-hmm. with Raven, and then he does this promo. Brilliant. Um, next we have Tony and Tanay speculating. You want to talk about like, is it a promise or a threat? They're speculating that um. Chucky may have more involvement and we may not have heard the last of him because he's he's cackling over the, the commercials again. We then we have... have heard the last of him, haven't we? I can't remember. I don't want to promise you anything. Oh, fuck. <laughs> um, then we have uh, another one of those moments where I would love to have seen your face in the room. Buffer on a second taped Thunder main event. I tell you what, he's working hard for those million dollars isn't he yeah two weeks in a row we have Buffer and Stevie Ray main eventing a thunder how about that um, did, did you hear what he says about Stevie Ray I heard him say he's the master of the slap basically now uh, Buffer is phoning it in so much that he'll just find out what the guy's move is and say he's the master of it mm-hmm. but he what also else says he say? that um, Stevie says that he and he alone won those seven tag world tag team titles. <laughs> so Stevie Ray was years ahead of Matt Morgan as the tag team champion. Yeah. Excellent. Love to hear it. I, I uh, did I did like um Malenko's entrance though by Buffer. He says yeah. that D Malenko is known for his speed and strength. <laughs> and he fears no man. He does fear no man. And, and all that's I could mainly think, because all he has no emotions. And all I could think is, that sounds like an introduction for French Toast from uh, Hardy Books. <laughs> That's, that is now set the bar for the most niche reference <laughs> we've ever had on this show. Uh, for anybody who has never seen the Hardy Books, it's imagine if Trailer Park Boys was set in the west of Ireland. And that's what the show was. And it was fantastic. And one of the characters is named French Toast. Yeah. Uh, God, yeah. That was a great show. Anyway, um, yeah, the match is Stevie Ray with Vincent versus Dean Malenko. Uh, Dean takes out Vincent straight away at the bell, but it gives Stevie plenty of opportunity to attack because it's WCW, it's a main event, so you have to attack somebody at the bell. We go to break on a bear hug that I'm sure people in the arena would have loved and come back on what is a, my God, almost a shoot Irish whip into the corner. That's how hard Dean hits the turnbuckle here. Um, Tony is very suspicious that Stevie is not actually here to win a match. He's on a strict mission to take out Dean like Barbarian was last week when he was bribed by Bischoff. Uh, wearing down Dean with holes and Vincent is trying to take cheap shots at him. Dean fights back and hits a, uh, a back suplex, but it hurts his back that has been worked on since the start and he's unable to capitalize. Uh, bear hug and back into the corner. The lads are speculating about what Flair is going to do because next week Nitro is in his hometown of Minneapolis. Uh, and then um, Tanae points out, well, look, Bischoff has his own connections in Minneapolis as well. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's right. So they're they're hamming up. There's going to be a big confrontation on Monday. Uh, Dean finally manages to take Stevie off his feet and get the cloverleaf in. Uh, but immediately Vincent breaks it up because, again, this is an NWO main event. It must end with a fuck finish. And Scott Norton, I- IWGP heavyweight champion, runs out for the DQ. 
the horsemen then finally make their appearance on these tapings to make the save. Uh, and even though the crowd is tired out, they are very excited to see Flair and the boys. Um, even though they don't really get into much action. Um, Aaron gets on the mic. He has his tire iron with him. He says, you're going to try to take a horseman down. You better make sure he stays down. He guesses they're trespassing in the building. But in fact, they're taking their company back. So Eric is trespassing in their building. He says, the horsemen were the first. They were the worst. And they will be the last. Uh, which I, I really enjoyed. You know, it's it, it's really um, redundant to say I enjoyed an Aaron Anderson promo. But I enjoyed that Aaron Anderson promo. I'll tell you what, that, that really should have been the slogan for the horsemen at this stage. Yeah. The first, the worst, and will be the last. That like yeah. that should have been on a t-shirt. Yeah, it was great. Uh, Rick Flair says, "You know, if you're a horseman, it's hard to be humble." Mm-hmm. He says, "Bischoff proved he's not a man. He's not a human being. He's an object that they will deal with weekly." Which I thought was a, a very strange metaphor. He says, "Bischoff's abuse of power will not work anymore." Uh, Dean says, two down." And whoever else they want to send, he's ready and the horsemen have his back. Flair promises he's going to run this company, at which point... <laughs> I love this. Classic Bobby Heenan. Because as soon as he says he's going to run the company, it's like a penny drops for Braid. And he starts absolutely sucking up to his buddy Ric Flair. I, uh, I, I love that as well. Yeah, it's like Flair like, into the camera is just like screaming, I'm going to take Bischoff's job. I'm going to run this company. And to yeah. sign off, it's just Bobby Heenan going, you know, I always liked Ric Flair. He's a 13-time or 14-time <laughs> world champion. What a guy. Like, <laughs> It's brilliant. And that is our last visual as Thunder goes off the air. Lee, who were your winners and losers on this program? DDP, Kaz Hayashi, Billy Kidman. They're the only winners coming out of this. I said the yeah. only. But like, yeah. this show went an hour and a half. And like, there was three good or two good things that happened. Hmm. <laughs> you know, um, losers. I mean, Prince Ikea, as you said, yeah. his big comeback, <laughs> and yeah. he gets jobbed out twice. Um, I mean, imagine me, also Dean Malenko. I mean, he's the only horseman that wrestles across these two shows. Yeah. Um, but imagine being told, right, you're wrestling a double shot in one night, and your opponents yeah. are Stevie Ray and the Barbarian. Yeah, I do love that he attempts to have, uh, at least in the finishing stretch, almost the same match. Because he's like, am I fuck going to the effort of trying to lay out two mm-hmm. completely different matches with these guys? Um, two but, immo- yeah. immobile fucking brick walls that he has to work with in the same night. Like, yeah. Doing the Lord's work, God bless I ha- him. I'd say I did enjoy Ric Flair. Like, as soon as he gets on the mic, he like keeps Malenko right next to him and does yeah. his fucking best to put the guy over. Keeps him in shot. Mm-hmm. What a pro. Uh, our finish counter brought to you by Ludwig Borger. We had six matches on the show with five clean finishes and one DQ count out. But fear not, ladies and gentlemen. You're looking at this show. You're seeing it's only halfway through. You're seeing an hour has passed and Days of Thunder is over. Fear not. Because we have a great segment lined up for you. We mentioned it at the start of the show. But we are about to be joined on the air by our good friend, Jeffrey, of Strong Style Story, of Busting Balls, of uh, Boom Goes to Dynamite. He was in attendance at these very Thunder shows and has a litany of, uh, of, of stories and experiences to share from that time. So after this brief musical interlude, myself and Lee will be joined by Jeff to talk all things Thunder in Indianapolis. Are you ready to say goodbye to 2020 for good? Then do it in style with your pals at Mystery Titans Theatre and the live New Year's Eve Spectacular. 
Join your hosts, Travis Waloshin, Johnny Hedgepet, and the returning Kelly Nelson as we sit back and watch the exploits of such timeless entertainers as Bruce Monroe, Sweet Hansen, and Barry O. Celebrate the turning of the clock from coast to coast as the fellows are joined throughout the night by Mystery Titans Theater favorites James Hamilton, Max Mitchell, Robert Hawkins, Zubin Sundar, Mark Stanley, Sean Whitaker, and new friends Robert Charlton and Brad McNeil, and many more. The fun starts here at Mystery Titans Theater HQ, Jarvis Washing Machine on YouTube at 10 p.m. Eastern Time and 7 Pacific, and we won't say goodnight until the new year has reached Vancouver. It's going to be a party, so subscribe on YouTube for more updates, and let us know if there's a card you'd like to see on the Mystery Titans Theater New Year's Eve Live Spectacular. Welcome back to Days of Thunder after that brief musical interlude. This week on the show, we've been offered the rare opportunity to actually speak to somebody who was at a Thunder taping. Such a rare historical archive we're going to get a look into here on the show. And who better to be our our first ever guest on an actual Thunder show? Uh, none other than the man who carries this entire PWOM network on his shoulders. It's Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> from Strong Style Story, from Boom Goes the Dynamite, from Bustin' Balls. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at this stage, you're, you're responsible for about half the programming network. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, sa- sadly, that. that's true. Yes. So, uh... As well as making guest appearances on every other show. You gotta get that brand out well, not, there. Well, not every other show, not yet. <laughs> you gotta complete that hint, bingo card soon. Yeah. <laughs> How are you this evening, my friend? Well, my back is hurting because I was unpack- unpacking some boxes, you know, a year after my move, and um, yeah, and of course, once again, a box of, of loose comic issues is what did it to me. So yeah, n- now I, now I, and now I have a good argument for why comics should go digital at this point. Yeah. Because... Yeah. I, I actually had the, you know, not quite the same, but I had a, an, an incident uh, like a, a couple of days ago where I decided I was going to reorganize my bookshelves. So I've got these for anybody that's, um, you know, ever seen a picture of my office on Twitter or whatever. I have these like seven foot tall bookshelves behind me that run the entire length of my office. And it's like all my comics, all my actual books and all my Blu-rays behind me. And uh, just one evening I decided on a whim I was going to reorganize the whole thing. And it took, I think, about three hours by the end of it. And yeah, I was feeling the all digital future after that. I'll tell you that much. Well, the, the. It, it, what ticks me off is that I, I have one particular shelf that is reserved for uh, books by, about, or adjacent to Alan Moore, and I still can't find some of my those books. Uh, and I'm talking like my my big hardcover versions of Watchmen and Lost Girls. I, I still have not found. So yeah, I, I don't have a. I do, well, I do have a hardcover of Watchmen, but it's not a an, an old one. It's kind of a, a a relatively new reprint. I think it came with the director's cut of the film. Um, but I do have a lovely uh, leather hardback version of V for Vendetta. I'm quite fond of. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, they, they, David Lloyd is good people too. By mm-hmm. the way, I just uh, want to throw that out there. How he... do? You... Oh, go ahead. No, before we get get into, um, you were saying there about organizing your little Alan Moore section. Are there 
are there particular ways you like to organize your your shelves, your collection? Because it's something I agonized over the other night. It's like, do I organize completely in alphabetical order? Do I go by imprint? Um, how, how do you do it? Um, well, right now, my not any of my non Alan Moore books are just kind of I'm just putting them on a shelf for right now until I figure out how I'm going to actually organize it. The Alan Moore stuff I try to do. Um, I try to do in order of release, mm. but you know, that's not always easy either because you know, he, you know, he, he did a couple of future shocks for 2000 AD and then he did captain Britain and then he did more future shocks, but then he did Marvel man and, and V for vendetta. So it's like, okay, <laughs> how do I decide which order this actually goes in to be considered chronological? And then I had to move like, I had one of his first novel, Voice of the Fire, in like in the middle of a bunch of comics, but then I was running out of room on that shelf, so I was like, oh crap! So I had to move it to go with his other novel, um, uh, Jerusalem, which is yeah. like about oh about a thousand yeah plus pages in hardcover. A, I've, <laughs> so, I've seen I've seen that in the comic book shop I like to frequent um, in Dublin, and that is a, that is a big some bitch that one. I, I actually. <laughs> had to buy a digital copy of, of Jerusalem just so I could read it because uh, I don't think I could hold that book for <laughs> just, very long. Just your hands snap off. <laughs> yeah, my, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's like, you know, you need one of those big things like monks used to have to read the long form Bible, just a big lectern to put the right. Jerusalem copy on. <laughs> Lee, but yes, I, 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 yes, as you can tell, I'm a huge Alan Moore fan. So, yeah, well, I join in that sentiment for sure. Lee, I, I'm always fascinated. It's something I've never asked you because I don't think I've had occasion to, before we move on to WCW, how do you like to, or do you even have like a big collection of any sort of media that you need to organize? How, how do you prefer to tackle things? I actually I, don't. I, 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 I also, depending on the media, I go differently. So at the moment, my comic books, I have them alphabetized by Marvel and then I have DC and then I have image and then various and within each of those brands it's alphabetized but my blu-rays are just alphabetized from a to z um so you don't have that sort of concern no i really don't i just put stuff yeah. away i tidy you know just keep it on shelves and i have like a an old chest of drawers that's holding copious amounts of dvds at the moment i was gonna say because presumably you have a, a stack of wrestling dvds from yeah. back in the day and yeah. it, it, there's no particular rhyme or reason to any of them is there there was at one stage but then i had a son and lost a lot of yeah. room yeah <laughs> yeah that'll happen well um, I, I i just can't wait till i fi actually find my doctor who books because that's gonna be fun to organize <laughs> although at, at the moment i still have a lot of old power slam magazines up in the attic like they're just like kind of thrown into a black bag at one stage and put it. I remember that magazine. Those would be fascinating to go have a look at. Yeah, uh, they would. But I, um, um, I, I, I think I have it even older ones back in my mom's in my yeah. in her attic as well. So the two, um, the two most there's there's two people I I used to live with over the years who will remain nameless. I don't think either would listen to this show, but they'll remain nameless nonetheless. Um, who have okay. the most maniacal ways I've ever seen of uh, organizing DVDs. One of them, they would buy the DVD, throw out the case into the bin, and put all the DVDs on spindles, um, oh. and in no particular order either. Uh, and then another person who, like, just as insane, but in a very different way, would organize all their books by the color of the spine. 
rather than by author or by genre or anything I, like that. That's and, insane. I, I, I've actually known people who do who've done that. and i hadn't thought about that for years and years because i lived with this person many years ago but then i I, somebody somebody was dunking on an entire there was like an interior design magazine that was suggesting this as something you should do to make your apartment look nice and it just brought all that flooding back oh but anyway uh, all i can say is whoever it was that was um who was throwing away the cases and, and putting, you know, the DVDs onto a spindle at, at random. Um, I, I, I think you may want to see if they're on a watch list somewhere because <laughs> yeah. that is, um, yeah. that is some creepy behavior right yeah. there. It's, <laughs> like, it's like, almost, it's almost certain that the behavior has escalated. Now they have like spindles of human skin or something. Like yeah. All right. <laughs> e- e- <laughs> Don't check the crawl space. Like all, all I want to say is, like, <laughs> some DVD is like the best part is the box. Like, yeah, I know. I love good boxers. Um, this is going to turn into the longest episode of Days of Thunder ever. Oh, well, trust, trust us, it won't. Yeah. <laughs> um, look, let's let's move closer to wrestling. And before we we uh, kind of dive into your experience, Jeff, at at, at the Thunder tapings in Indy. Uh, I believe you have a beverage that you're joining. I do. Tell us about it. Uh, now, last time I, I was with y'all, I had a local brew um, called Fistmas, uh, which was uh, from Revolution Brewing in Chicago. Uh, it is that time of year, and I actually have uh, at least, I have more than one six-pack of of said Fistmas uh, <laughs> waiting to be consumed. But today, I have another uh a beer brewed in Chicago. This is from Pipeworks Brewing. This is uh, Blood of the Unicorn Hoppy Red Ale. Ah, it's a little pissing up a little bit. I hope ah. you just edit that out. <laughs> but uh, yes, this is uh, this is a fantastic brew, and I actually gave one to Chuck Taylor at um, at the uh, at, at the Hilton next to the uh, the Wintrust Arena the day before. Uh, AEW Revolution before you know the oh. world shut down. So that feels like a bit of a million years it, it, ago. It's strange you actually brought that show up because I literally just watched that show yesterday. Oh, oh nice! It was a great show. It I was, wanted it was, some, some some normality to watch. It was it was it was a great show. It was fun to be at, and you know it, it, it's you know for being possibly the last wrestling show I'm I'm gonna be going to in the foreseeable future. <laughs> you know that I could have been uh, could have gotten. Uh, could have done. Could have done worse. How are the? Um, because this is something myself and Lee have talked off the air about. Like, when's the next time we think we'd feel safe on a number of levels going to a wrestling show? And I think we were saying that, like, if you know, twenty twenty one rolls round, you know, God willing, this uh, this vaccine comes out and is widely available, and if AEW finally do that tour of the UK, we were both thinking like that might be the show to go to. It might be fun. Um. But how have the, um, I suppose that the wrestling companies in or around where you are, are like, are, are they completely shut down? Are people still trying to run shows? Because I've seen kind of depending on where you are in the States, there are still people that are really bloody minded trying to run shows in spite of a pandemic. Well, I know that AAW is now doing like a closed uh, studio show uh, because yeah. they can't run at uh, Logan Square or uh, or down in, Bur- uh, you know, the Berwyn Eagles Club or anything like that anymore um actually i think they're out they were out of berwin anyway but Mm. uh marionette park is what i meant but um 
I know for fact that uh, two weekends ago I watched uh, Gali, you know, the a, a G-A-L-L-I, a local uh, Lucha Libre uh, company. And even though they, they claimed it was going to be empty arena, uh, yeah, that was not an empty arena. There were people <laughs> in attendance there. I, I was surprised there hasn't been more of the, you know, because I, I saw in the build up to the presidential election that there was... Um, you know all these kind of drive-in rallies and i know did did zona do drive-in wrestling shows as well at the start of the pandemic i honestly and, don't i, I honestly oh, i don't know i i gotta be frank with you uh my interest in independent wrestling has hit an all-time low yeah during the like mm. literally the only companies i am currently running companies i am i am uh watching are AEW new japan and I mean, I don't even know. I don't know what's going on in all Japan anymore. Um, Dragon Gate blew me away when I find out. Oh, shouldn't Skywalker won the open the dream gate? Wait, he was back. I thought he was still in. <laughs> I thought he was in Mexico, you know, and, you know, just, you know, things like that. I, I, I mean, that the whole collective happened in Indianapolis and I didn't yeah. watch a damn bit of it because I just didn't care. Good, yeah. good decision by all accounts. Yeah, I think I watched Bloodsport, which had, I think, two good matches on it. And that was about it. I didn't dip into anything else. because well, 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 Was Moxley's one of them? I hope. Yes, it was. Yeah, I can't remember what the other one was. There was one earlier on the show that I thought was good. Um, I remember thinking most of it, though, was, was disappointing. And part of it was just down to that venue. It didn't feel like, you know, they've... They've done well with those blood sport shows, having them in like tight claustrophobic venues that feel appropriate, but like being just in the middle of a gymnasium, <laughs> just like yeah, just I, I, yeah. I've never been to the Marion County Fairgrounds. I when, when they, I, I thought they were actually going to be running it at the at the Indiana State Fairgrounds, which have uh, which I've seen plenty of wrestling shows at, mm. but no, it was at the Marion County Fairgrounds, which I never went to, and I, I saw like the just the 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 blocky painted concrete that was making up that that building i was like holy shit you know like, <laughs> um let's kind of move towards wcw now and i'm gonna kind of like uh kick off with a few questions lee feel free to uh kind of jump in as and when you, you feel like you want to or if you want to you know be as unprofessional as always you can kick back and just not yeah um Cast your mind back to uh, 1998, Jeff. Uh, were you a big WCW guy at the time? Uh, was WCW big in your area, or was it kind of a hey, the show's coming to town? I'll, I'll just go see it. Um, no, actually, I was uh, big into both. I, I, I was watching. I, well, I mean, all three, all three American companies, because I mean, uh, Indianapolis also had ECW Hardcore TV. Oh. At the time, so I was a uh, you know very much a dedicated watcher of that. Um, but yeah, we we I, mean, I was watching WCW and uh WWF at the time. Um, my memory fails me, but I don't think WWF were really coming to Indy at the time. Um, I think after I think after the 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 not great uh WrestleMania at the RCA Dome, they kind of stayed away from Indy for a while. Yeah. Yeah, they would I mean, it it, I mean, it was kind of part of their territory, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um it seemed like I mean, this of course was late 98, of course by then WWF was everywhere. Of course. Uh but yeah, WCW seemed like it was the bigger show to a lot of folk uh mm-hmm. at the time. 
Um, just because a lot of the names and, and, you know, all the hype, I mean, I mean, this was the year of, you know, the, uh, the shows with, you know, uh, Carl Malone and Dennis Rodman and, mm. and Jay Leno. And so, you know, they, they were all in the media, but, you know, of course, also this was the year of, uh, you know, of, of Steve Austin too. Mm. So I, I guess it was a thing maybe where WWF had just gotten to that next level, as you said, with the rise of Steve Austin and, and crowning him at Mania earlier that year. Whereas I think WCW had kind of been on top for the previous two years that maybe it still felt like it was the number one at the time for a lot of people. Right. Well, here's the thing. The the, the Wolfpack, per se, actually debuted in Indianapolis um, at a Nitro and it, it, it would turn out to be a one hour night televised nitro, which I was not at. I, I, so I watched it on TV mm. um, because I think it got preempted for, I think, maybe the NBA. Yeah, but um, yeah, that was that was when they they hadn't quite come out with the, the red branding yet. But I, at least I don't think. But that, that was when, you know, Nash and Conan and, and Savage and all them had, had branded themselves as the Wolfpack. Yeah. Um, what about um, I try to think here, like it, I, for your fandom at the time, were they still like of those three American companies, were they still the number one for you or had some of the things that we've been talking about across 1998, had they started to kind of chip away at your fandom already or how were you feeling about the product before you walked into the building that night? Well, um, I, uh, of the three American companies at the time, I was very much uh, ECW was by far my favorite because I had actually attended Heatwave 98, which oh, wow. was originally supposed to be in Indianapolis. Mm. And then it got it got moved because um, Paul Heyman in his infinite wisdom didn't check what was going else was going on in town that weekend. And he was and the pay-per-view was running up against uh, the Brickyard 400. So ECW couldn't get hotel space anywhere in Indianapolis. Hmm. So, so they ended up moving into Dayton, Ohio, but I still went to the show and yeah. by God, by far the best pay-per-view event of 1998. For sure. Was that. Um, but yeah, I was, I think at this point I was more, I was definitely more into what was going on, on in WWF than I was in WCW. Mm. Uh, but you know, there, this is before SmackDown too. Yeah. SmackDown wouldn't be for another, at least another couple of months yeah they, i think um i think they, they do in early 99 so. yeah so they do the pilot in early 99 and then i think it's you know it, the summer or the fall maybe when it uh actually starts running weekly um, yeah there's that uh, we were talking about on the show before weren't we lee where there's the, the single pilot that has like cornet on commentary on it yeah that's i'm, I'm pretty sure it's january 99 yeah and then, um, yeah, yeah it, I think it, it debuts on, is it UPN? Yeah, yeah it was, on. it was on, yeah, it was on UPN at the time. So, yeah, I think for the, for the fall season, I think it debuts like mm. the first week of the new season. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. that the, wasn't that the one that had the, 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 the rock also like pretending like he was twirling a six gun. Oh, talking about yeah. Shawn Michaels. Yeah. About, yeah. About well, Shawn, I, I, I know it's the Shawn Torn, isn't it? The, the yeah. super kick off the people's elbow. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what about the um you know going into the building this night uh for the the, the double tapings uh of which uh, there's a fairly grim level of entertainment we'll say. Uh, <laughs> all right before, so oh, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead 
I was going okay, to say so, just uh, if you could give us a kind of uh, a feeling for the building, the Market Square Arena, like not being familiar with it myself. Okay, so Market Square Arena no longer exists. Right. Um, but this was, it, and the way it was set up was it was actually running along Markets, um, you know, right at, in Market Square, and it was actually elevated off the ground, so you could you you drove under it, you know, oh. on 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 uh, at Meridian and Market Streets, you drove under it. Okay. Um, and uh, th- just a- a- as a little thing, uh, th- this was a historic venue because this was the final performance of Elvis Presley was at Market Square Arena. Oh. So there was a little bit of history there. Yeah. Um, so when, when you know, depending on what, where you walked in from, you had like this, um, you had this, uh, what do you call, uh, this banner of Reggie Miller looking down upon you like it was, you know, Big Brother from 1984 or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Reggie Miller is watching you. <laughs> But uh, I, I just remember going up a lot of escalators to get to our seats. And uh, so it, it, I was with somebody and I, I'm just going to say I'm not going to get into too much of who I was with because uh, this person I have since had a very severe falling out. And uh, there may be violence the next time I see this person. So let's just Absolutely. put it that way. Um, it, yes, still to, the, to this day. But um, anyway, so. We, we were there. Um, one of the first things that happened when we get in there now, I this was also the same week that Dana Hall had posted her open letter on the Internet. Right. About oh, okay. uh, about about Scott and, and his drinking. And of course, at the time, I was actually uh, doing a, a little occasional column for some some fan site. I can't even remember the the. Uh... <laughs> the name of the place but i was reporting about new japan at the time so yes you can see that there is a uh, <laughs> a little bit of a thread through my fandom here um i was mm. reporting on new japan at the time but yeah i remember when that when that broke there was a lot of discussion on that uh, uh, uh yeah amongst ourselves about uh about that and then well when we get in there somebody is actually handing out flyers they they copy pasted this letter and we're handing it out to people Whoa! Like a homemade newsletter kind of thing. Uh, something. I, I think it was just you know they just copy pasted the, <laughs> the text and we're just handing handing it out on colored you know on colored paper you know because there's a Kinko's there was a Kinko's not too far away from Market Square Arena, right on the circle. So yeah. So yeah, this uh, the open letter was was published on the the seventh of October and it was to nwocentral.com, um and then it was kind of you know a proto that might have been time. The- that might have right. been the site, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It, they were basically saying that you know, you know, because it, the nineties was a big time for shareware and stuff like that. The the website kind of said, "Look, you're more than welcome to reprint this letter anywhere you want. Just give credit to Mark Coleman of NWOcentral.com." Yeah, you know what? That that was the site. Now that you mention all that, yes. <laughs> wow, that's a flashback. Is that yeah. like uh, UFC's Mark Coleman? <laughs> Oh my god! Well, now it is in my head. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Big NWO fan, Mark Coleman. But <laughs> Never uh, seen the two sweet, but maybe. <laughs> but yeah, that that was. Um, but yeah, that, so that was odd, you know, being part of that website and ha- having already read this and this being a big discussion, and then somebody's handing me the <laughs> a flyer with the text of it. <laughs> See, in my own mind, I'm just thinking that's Brian Alvarez handing out that text. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't think Alvarez was in Indy, so um, <laughs> I'll tell you who was in Indy. Who? Um, uh, his, his uh, partner, uh, the uh, the the other guy whose name I, you know, I I just unpacked the death of WCW. Uh, the other oh, guy, uh, who, Rhett, Artie, Artie Reynolds. Yeah, Artie Reynolds. Duh, oh. I should I should know this. I was at Merle Griggs's funeral. Um, but yeah, it, yes, I was at <laughs> the 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 other half former you know the 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 other co-founder of wrestle crap i was at his funeral so um but yeah that yeah rd is a midwest guy as well isn't he he was in it yeah they were both in indy yeah yeah in fact i remember i was at the the one show that um merle had had put on it was like an early 99 and or maybe it was late 98 but i mean he he lost his ass on it but he said it was the greatest night of his life because he he promoted a wrestling show so that's, that's great know, but uh so anyway yeah so um i mean it, it was what it was there was a lot of I, I i had never been to a taping of like a big tv yeah um wrestling show so i was not used to the idea of the countdowns and you know hey we're going to air in five <laughs> you know it's like Ugh. so you know in, in 98 but this is it, it was what it was um H- had you gone to many house shows before that jeff i've been to a few i was i i've been to a couple of wwf house shows in the 80s uh at the rosemont horizon oh nice uh, but yeah, when I went to, um, then I went to college and I, I never really attended many shows. I, I, WCW came to Muncie one Muncie, Indiana once, but it was also a day of a really bad snowstorm. And I was spending most of the time trying to fix, help my friend, you know, get his car started. So yeah, I, I didn't, wasn't even thinking about going to that show and I never watched WCW during that time anyway, except for, you know, the great Muda, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which was, course. which was a life changer. So, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing if there was a snowstorm in like late eighties, early nineties, WCW, there was probably more fans than wrestlers at the show anyway. So, <laughs> uh, well, it, yeah, I couldn't tell you. I mean, yeah, I'm sure cage match has a, has a listing for, uh, for, for when, uh, WCW hit, hit the Worthen arena in, in Muncie. So, Something I've always been fascinated by now that um, WCW have started this process that I think they do uh, until they're doing pretty consistently for the next year and a half, nearly two years, is just doing double shots every single time for Thunder. And for your experience live, did they was there any delineation between, OK, they're doing the second Thunder now or was it just presented from where you were sitting as one continuous show that was entirely too long? You know, it didn't it didn't click with me that they were pre they were they were doing two shows at once. Mm. It never clicked with me until I was sitting there. Yeah. So it was after, you know, the Scott Hall uh, appearance at the end that uh, and then they just kept I figured, okay, maybe we'll get at least one more match. Uh, No, we ended up getting six more matches. (laughs) I was like, oh, man, are they like are, are they actually taping a new, you know, another episode? Yeah. And it turns out, or, you know, maybe they were doing, you know, material for like, I don't know, you know, pro or, or worldwide or, or something. Mm. But, um, so anyway, yeah. So, you know, when, when the show started and, um, I, I laughed out loud when 
when uh, Scott Hall said that uh, the the bar he was at was on Meridian, uh, would they say about forty miles from from the arena? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think Meridian Street runs forty miles. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was very drunk because at time, one, it, yeah, at one point, at one point, it, it, you know, it, it's part of US thirty one, and at one point, it, it, it splits off. Right. Between Meridian Street and U.S., you know, U.S. 31 and Meridian Street just splits off. So I don't think Meridian Street is 40 miles long. <laughs> so, and, and if there were if there were any bars that he was at, it was at a bar because there's a lot of bars in that area, uh, as well as a lot of bail bondsman offices because the uh, the city county building's right there. So so is the courthouse. Well, <laughs> that will come in handy for Scott. Yeah, I was going to say, a one-stop shop for him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm actually surprised DCW didn't run this area a lot more. <laughs> so it, they, they did, because I was <laughs> I was actually at the show uh, April 13th of 2000, my birthday. And imagine my surprise when Taz shows up and beats Mike Awesome for the ECW oh, title. No way, I was there. that's cool. I was there. Okay. I was there. That's, we will, that's proper history. Yeah, we will be having you back. This is good special. In three or four years, when we get to the year two thousand, <laughs> God us. But you said so. There was the the Scott Hall run in in the main event, and then the show just kept going. So, did it seem, by and large, to you? And I know, kind of twenty two years, asking you to to think back. Does it seem like they basically just shot it in order that they shot, you know, Thunder One and Thunder Two, or or did they yeah kind of mix up a little? Yeah, I don't remember if there were any pre-show dark matches. I I, I don't remember, or if they did, they probably like edited. You know, they would they would edit it into the footage later. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I don't recall, but yeah, it was pretty linear. Did, did the was, show it, run long? Like, what was that a long show? It sure felt like it. <laughs> um, but no, I think the show, I think it show capped off at like three hours. Mm. Because like I think myself and I have talked about this on the show before. Like we were at an OTT stadium show once that I think we worked out we were in the stadium for nearly seven hours. Yeah. Oh my we god. Got, we got it. It was the elite show, wasn't it? Yes. Uh and we I got we in I think entered doors half were, five. Doors were half five, six o'clock, and we got out about half one in the morning. <sighs> yeah, I remember uh it, it, it it, it, it kind of galled me when when I realized when I was leaving um, Madison Square Garden after G1 Supercar, I was like, we were I was at a Wrestle Kingdom length show. Yeah, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and, yeah. and I'm hearing people, you know, people who were leaving because, oh, my God, they, you know, they were going to be late for, you know, Joy Janela Spring Break Part 5 or whatever it was. <laughs> It was like, I remember that that OTT show being like, I was in that building nearly as long as I was for WrestleMania in Dallas. And that was one of the most arduously long experiences of my entire life. <laughs> as nice yeah. as look, ATT Stadium was a lovely place to sit and it was very well air conditioned and the food was delicious. But my God, that show aged me. Uh, <laughs> no. which one the ott or the wrestlemania both, both of them really yeah <laughs> and it was it was like oh, i'm trying to think was it the yeah yeah it was that show was it um where the the cody match lee where he was still doing the, ring, the ring of Honor stick yeah so kiss, his entrance the ring was 15 minutes it was cody ray phoenix and flip flip 
Yes. In a three way. The Flip, most who, Flip who was together. added to take the fill, take the fall. Yeah. Like <laughs> And it was the most like I <laughs> I remember tweeting at the time I went to the toilet afterwards because I was just done because at the end of the match the elite came back out and did more shtick and I was just like I'm just going to the bathroom now I just can't handle this (laughs) and as I was in the queue um, somebody turned around to their mate and said that Cody match was the best match I've ever (laughs) seen. I remember uh, tweeting, it's like, my God, there's someone in this match, in this building who's only ever seen one match. Uh, <laughs> I, can, I can remember our group chat during that show was just, that, that's the show where the famous picture of me and Johnny. <laughs> I took this picture. I was up in the nosebleeds and uh, Lee and our friend Bo's Johnny were down like right near ringside. And at one point I looked over them and you've never seen two sadder grown men in your life about, you know, an hour into this Cody match, it felt like. You're also also missing the context of the photo because at that very same moment, uh, one Joseph Cabre has a face like thunder. Yeah. Because because there was some uh, very sullen ringside faces from a lot of people that he had... um, uh, we want to say selected to be ringside. Yeah. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And oh, yeah, no. it's on, I think. And that um, was the last time we were at ringside. Yes. <laughs> it was, yeah, you were with me then next time. And we never look back. Um, I, I was trying to think anything more about this show. Like, so there's a lot on these tapings of what, what we've been seeing as like filler. And even when these video packages are good, they are excessive. And, was it a thing where they didn't show a lot of these at the arena to keep it to like three hours there, thereabouts, or were you getting a hundred video packages piped through in between segments during this? Uh, during the, during the live broadcast. Yes. During the, what was going to end up being the pre-tape bits. No, there were not okay. in my recollection. Um, now again, my memory escapes me. So when did they show Peyton Manning? That was the first was, show. Uh, the first like, show yeah. Well, it was the first show. Quarter segment. Okay, so so was it before? Like, okay, so right before then, we knew that we were in a commercial break, and Dave Penzer is out there, and he's you know trying to rile the crowd up, and you know they put the spotlight on Peyton Manning, and there were several other Indianapolis Colts there too. Um, and hold on, I gotta bring this up because I want to get my my facts and figures straight here. So they were, you know, we of course we are in Market Square Arena, which is, you know, the home base. Uh, then the home base of the Indiana Pacers, who were, you know, the the uncrowned champions as far as Indiana were, were concerned um, of the NBA. So of course, Penzer's like, hey, you're all in, the, you're all into the 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 Pacers, right? It's like, yeah, we're we're in their arena, you idiot, because <laughs> everybody's <laughs> into the Pacers. So you know, they they put up Peyton Manning and. Uh, so what what do y'all think of the you know what do y'all think of uh, Peyton Manning and the Colts and a torrent of booze was unleashed. <laughs> now, mind you, this was the right after Peyton Manning had just had his first win in the NFL <laughs> in a in a seventeen to twelve win over the San Diego Chargers on October fourth, nineteen ninety eight. Um, but of course, in weeks previous, they had been washed by the New York Jets 44 to 6 at the Meadowlands. <laughs> Jesus. And uh yeah, so yeah, the 
Indianapolis, besides like a brief time in 1995 where they claimed that the Steelers stole, you know, their playoffs, you know, their, their chance to get whooped by the Cowboys in the Super Bowl that year. Um, because let's face it, nobody was beating the Cowboys in 1995, <laughs> not even my, my beloved Steelers. But um, yeah, the Indianapolis was never really a football city until, you know, of course, Peyton Manning had a team behind him. And of course, you know, at the time, you know, he still had, you know, he had Marshall Falk who would end up winning a Super Bowl elsewhere. And, uh, you know, he had Marvin Harrison there already, so. You know, it, it was there, but yeah, the the, the Colts that, that season were a three and thirteen team. Right. It, it, even though Peyton Manning was like setting all sorts of rookie records, you know, the, the Colts themselves, yeah, three and thirteen. Um, yeah, I, I just checked it out there. So he was uh they showed Peyton Manning in between the uh Buff and Scott segment and just before the right Mac classic that was Meng and Jerry Flynn. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, it, it was just that was, that was one of the funnier things that, that stuck with me that night was just how badly Peyton Manning would get booed. And now, you know, when, when I think back of the football fans in Indy and how it, it seems to me they're not fans of the team, they're fans of Peyton Manning. You know, I, th- I think we, we discussed this off the air like how much better it would have been if you just had Reggie Miller there. <laughs> yeah, you know, what? I think you may you might be right if Reggie Miller had made an <laughs> appearance there. Um, when the is something that we kind of like, so the, the energy tends to sap out of these crowds by the time they get to the uh, the taped portion of of the uh, the the proceedings. And I was wondering, like, when the live broadcast ended and then they went to do all the the tape matches, was there like a mass exodus from the building, or was it more a case where the people who were there had been watching WCW for a long time and were burned out? Um, there, I, I think that, I mean, they, I think it was more of a slow empty, um, right. because once it became apparent that, yeah, there were going to be more matches, um, as I recall, it was just a slow empty. you know, you know, it was just slowly emptying. Like as, as time went on, it was like, you know, when you get the, the likes of, you know, you know, fit Finley against, you know, Scotty Riggs, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe we, we can go now. Jesus, okay, if that, if that's know. not a perfect metaphor for WCW in the next couple of years, I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah, <honestly. laughs> well, well, I'll tell you what, during the TV, the, the televised port, you know, the actual broadcast, you know, live portion, the, the, the crowd were, were definitely into, you know, and they were, they were showing reactions like the, the disciple versus Horace Hogan. Everybody fucking hated that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't like, can't imagine like, why. What the fuck? But I will tell you what the the biggest heat of the night was uh, when Chris Jericho came out for his his, his his mock Goldberg match because the crowd fucking hated Jericho. Even though I was a huge fan and I was cheering him on, yeah. but yeah, the crowd and, and those Goldberg chants, I don't. They were not piped in. I mean, they, 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 there was a gold, there was a legit Goldberg chant during that time. Uh, see, see, this is the thing about WCW. Like you said, <clears throat> there was a legit Goldberg chant, but I can guarantee you they piped in chants over it as well. Like you know, <laughs> well, like, if they, they did, they, they, they didn't do not... it that. If they did, they didn't do it that night because oh, they, they may not have done it that night, but they've done it like previously, like where it comes across in the show where it's just so, like it sounds piped in. And I can guarantee you, people in the arena were probably chanting Goldberg. And it's just such a WCW thing. 
And, and to have done a whole double shot here in Indy and on neither show actually deliver Goldberg when, you know, there's multiple segments on that first show because he comes up in the DDP promo as well. So, you know, if you're a wrestling crowd and you know how wrestling logic works, you would have reason to believe that Goldberg will be uh, making an appearance later in the evening. Um, yeah, you you think that, but no, they did not. I'll tell you yeah. what, though, that DDP versus Raven match, a legit great match because... Yeah. Uh, and the crowd were on fire for that one too. Mm, that was okay. that was a legit great match. It, it's something me and Dave always say. Like Raven in nineteen ninety eight, like was such such an under well he wasn't underutilized but underappreciated part of WCW. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll go on record as saying that as much of an ECW mega fan as I was at the time, um, I'm gonna go out there and say I think Raven's feud with DDP was better than his feud with Tommy Dreamer. Ooh, ooh. Controversial for some, but uh, I wouldn't disagree with you either. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was a lot more compelling. And, and mm. it, it got to the point a lot quicker, too. <laughs> I'll yeah. say that much. Um, that is fair. Now, the the thing that, one of the thing now, of course, you know, me being me, I have like, you know, you know, as far as most, more, most wrestling fans at the time were concerned, I had, you know, weird tastes. So, you know, the when you had the bit with Scott Norton showing up yeah, and he's wearing the, he actually wearing the IWGP heavyweight title. So this is the first time I've ever seen and the reigning IWGP heavyweight (laughs) champion. I of course was losing my fucking mind. Yeah. (laughs) You were more excited than Scott Norton was because he almost immediately disposed of the belt when he got to the ring. But hey, and that was and, and that generation of the belt was beautiful too. I thought yeah. that was a great belt. But it's it a must, gorgeous belt. I, I think, you know, in the age of the internet and when, you know, people are traveling the world and you know, there's all sorts of stars showing up on random shows. Um I guess maybe a younger generation wouldn't appreciate how probably truly special it was being like there at a WCW taping, and holy shit, there's the IWGP Heavyweight Championship belt. Oh, yeah, for, for for fans of a certain persuasion, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was just oh, like, yeah. oh my god. For like, sure, uh, like for we, the right fans, said, that's, that, that's you know, worth the ticket price alone. But, you know, I'd say for your average WCW fan, they're like, well, what the fuck is he carrying? Yeah, <laughs> like, right. Like, um, like, my son is what? He's turning eight and next week. So like he's oh well, happy birthday to him. <laughs> he's a uh, seven and he's seen like the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champ. Well, that's he was a former title holder. Well, so he also got to hold the belt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, same here. Yeah. So hey, we we we're, we're both on that roster. So, <laughs> <laughs> but like it's like he has seen some of the biggest current stars, and he's not even seven yet, and he saw them in like a little hall in Dublin. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I remember like having to go up to, you know, if you wanted to see the actual stars of wrestling, you were going up to the Point Theatre in Dublin, like the big, the big indoor arena in Dublin. And you were seeing whoever Smackdown felt like sending out on that tour. And like sometimes <laughs> it was good. You know, there were, I, I remember one in particular where I got this on the same show. I think Taker was on it, but like. I was psyched because Eddie was on the show. Kurt Angle was on the show. Um, God, who else was on the show? It was like that SmackDown 6 era. So there was like some proper dudes. I was As I was smartening up as a fan, the dudes I was really, really into were on that show. But then uh, a lot of the rest of the time, it's like, oh, you might get uh, a Rene Dupree squash. Uh, 
or you know uh, an interminably long M&M match or, or something like that <laughs> see you, you well, never you never went to the uh, IWW shows did you Dave no I didn't and nor did I attend the legendary uh, outdoor WWF show or WWE show that oh in pretty York, much, yes yeah that pretty much everybody I know seems to have gone to and I didn't even know what had happened at the time <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's funny that you mentioned that, you know, the, the people that you were into and, and you were excited to see, even if nobody else was, because, of course, you know, the second half had, you know, a really actually decent, uh, you know, cruiserweight title match between, uh, you know, Billy Kidman and and Kaz Hayashi. Of course, yes, I had, I mean, Kaz Hayashi was seen as a jobber in WCW. I, of course, knew him because he was Shiryu yes. in Michinoku Pro, you know, part of Kai and Tai DX. Mm. So, you know, I was like, oh, well, shit, you know. Yeah, you want to talk hey, about, is... like, underutilized talents. Yeah, right? Yeah. And, and he's still out there. He's yeah. still, still, he's... still in all Japan, isn't he? Uh, well, he was part of Wrestle One. Oh, maybe. It was, so maybe it was I don't know. I don't know what he's active doing now, because, of course, Wrestle One shut down um, yeah. earlier this year. So I went to uh, I went to find it. Uh, I, I was looking up some, you know, stuff on him when he came up on this show and like seeing more current day pictures of him and seeing like that salt and pepper going in the facial hair just made me feel because he's just such a tiny baby on these (laughs) WCW shows you know and you know see you know you know Magnum Tokyo getting getting squashed even though I would you know know him for in in Toriumon as being one of the you know the you know one of of the early top guys in, in Toriumon so, you know, it's it just, it's just, you know, a, a different perspectives, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, sure. you know, nowadays, like, you know, one of the other matches that happened in, you know, and during the, 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 the pre-tape party, you know, Conan, of course, was, was, was over his head and he was over. Yeah. Oh, do, do, yeah. do not make any mistake. He was over at the time, but, you know, nowadays we would all be, you know, giving blood for, you know, LA park, yeah. you know, who was in this match, you know? For sure. Conan's like a real curiosity for me because like he were, he pretty much, like you said, he's over as hell from the, the the Wolfpack starting this year is when I really start to notice it and he starts doing the shtick on his promo every week. But like I remember even like late 2000, um, he's still getting huge reactions coming out on Nitro and just doing the same thing every week and usually not wrestling. Yeah, I mean, uh, he may he may not have been much good at that point, but I mean, no. <laughs> he, he, but I mean, he 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 had charisma. I mean, at one point, Conan El Barbaro was one of the biggest wrestlers in Mexico. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the guy was still over in TNA, just yeah. from being a mouthpiece, like up as far as like I want to say, was it like three years ago? The LAX, um, or not? Yeah. Um, yeah, the the. Oh, what's her name? Um, from AEW. <laughs> I can't think of her names. Proud and powerful. Oh. Proud, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. LAX. Yeah, when e- they were LAX, e- like Conan, e- Conan was still EYFBO. Over. Yes, that's right. Who so, I believe like, were EYFBO at the tag league where we came up for the idea of this show. Oh wow! <laughs> they were, think, weren't they? Yeah, I think they were. So yeah, they have a, a weird history with this program. <laughs> <laughs> no, they they were LAX, weren't they? 
on the sh- on my t-shirt there EYFBO but it, they might have been there two years and the second year they were LA- LAX I know the first time I saw them in Germany they were EYFBO because people were singing EYFBO at them I'm pretty sure they were LAX the year I was there okay so it must have been the year before when like the Rottweilers were there um, I'd have to go back and check but yeah no yeah. like um, it, it's amazing like how Conan just maintains being at that yeah. like overness just by being a mouthpiece you yeah, know, I mean, I, I know that we're all in the culture now where we're all saying, you know, oh, this was a great match. And, you know, you know, it, it, we uh, we we dissect everybody's, you know, skills or lack thereof in professional wrestling. But they're really when you go back and watch a lot of these old shows, you see all these matches that are like, you know, less than two minutes long. Mm-hmm. But the crowd are totally into them. You have to account for. Was the crowd entertained, too, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's one it, of those. It, like, it, 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 I mean, work rate. I mean, th- there's like a magic formula that not a lot of people have ever been able to get down. You either have the work rate, you have the charisma, you have neither, but it's yeah. rare that you get both and it works, you know? Yeah. Like, if you had come out and tried to do, you know, a, a 30 minute match on these shows, like it would have been booed out of the fucking building or people oh, yeah. just would have left the building. So there is a certain like definitely part of the whole cracking the pro wrestling code is understanding the audience you're wrestling in front of and what they've been educated to enjoy. Like that, and right. But I mean, during, it's like, oh, go ahead. During this era of like, you know, they, they would call it, I think Crash TV was coined around this time, that phrase. And like during this time, it's kind of that is what people have got. They need action beats happening every few minutes. They don't Mm -hmm. have the attention spans for these long matches. And when you're in competition with a company that like at any minute Stone Cold Steve Austin could come out and hit somebody with a stunner, you need to keep the momentum going on a show as quickly as possible so people don't tune over to the other station well yeah you know, and, and, uh, yeah go ahead Dave. Uh, i was just gonna say sorry. um do you know what a great comparison to like late 90s rest tv wrestling is now is aw dark yeah it's like you yeah. get your action it gets in gets out and it's like it's so enjoyable that you the like, commentators you know, are just trying to pop each other oh yeah it's <laughs> the comparisons are there it's thunder look yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah except there's a lot more matches and not as much uh you know bullshit segments you know that yeah. vince russo wrote you know yeah and more john silver on dark which is better and, and more john silver yeah <laughs> i mean i mean we can go on and on about about you know the the whole yeah i mean the 30 minute matches you know everybody blames new japan for this one no that's actually the legacy of um of of the the the, the four pillars era all japan because yeah. if you look at the the uh, the time frame for you know that era of of New Japan when Inoki was still running things, you know, um, you know the the average IWGP title match was ten to fifteen minutes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Hash, and, hash wasn't going thirty minutes, like <laughs> yeah. And also, you know, again, you know, it, it was funny with with Scott Norton. I always wonder, you know, at the time I had wondered, you know, why Norton hadn't done, you know, the traditional thing of putting the NWO logo on the IWGP title. And then, you know, now, you know, with hindsight, it's like, oh, because Inoki would have fucking murdered him if he did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Damn straight. <laughs> 
I suppose we'll kind of we'll bring the the segment to a close. Um, do you have any more kind of thoughts, Jeff, on like uh, stuff we haven't hit on? Anything that that kind of sticks out in the memory twenty two years on from your your Thunder experience? Well, yeah. Um, number one, one of the other biggest pops in the night actually happened at the end of the night because you know they finally you know after you know teasing it all night, Ric Flair actually shows up. Yeah. And, you know, so, hey, they rescued the, the, the second taping. Um, I think there were a lot of people who were disappointed that Goldberg were not there. I also remember seeing a lot of kids, and I mean, like, you know, single-digit-year-old kids uh, doing the DX crotch chops <laughs> at the <laughs> show. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds so very that, off the time, so, yeah. It, it, it really was. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, what, what, what was a... Uh, what was it? Was it some sort of Billy Gunn shirt? I think at the time that had you know the 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 ass word on it. It was like, oh, there's a there's a kid wearing this, yeah. and then you realize they made that shirt in a kid's size. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, like the uh, amount of the amount of kids who either had in the '90s or wanted the DX hockey jersey with suck it '69. Yeah. Right. Like, I, I've told the story before, but like I remember being 13 and buying like a Triple H DX t-shirt and just on the back of it, it just had suck it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think we're all paying for for the 90s at this point, you know, and culturally and, and, and yeah. you know, it, well, you know, you, you've seen the world around us. I think a lot of that was the ground for that. A lot of the ground for that was laid in, in, in the 90s. And I think we're all paying for it now. You know? <laughs> You're not wrong. So, so, so there you go. Jeff is blaming Vince Russo for Donald Trump being president. <laughs> you know what? It's not a straight line, but it's you know not not too far off the path. I, I feel like we're like Charlie, and it's always sunny with the like spider diagrams going. Oh, the, oh, oh, oh the, the, the 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 crazy person board, as I like to call it. Yeah, Vince Russo is Pepe Sylvia. That's confirmed. <laughs> Wild card. <laughs> Second time I've gotten to drop that reference this week on the on the feed. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, uh, any final thoughts then uh, on your experience? This has been a fascinating look into how these tapings work. I think I feel like I understand as much as there is to be understood about the WCW process now. Yeah, honestly, I don't even. And you know, I, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm so. I'm sure. Uh, even with all these other stories I've told, I, I'm sure I'm forgetting something too. You know. Yeah. But I mean, but uh, I think I hit the main parts. Yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah. As far as these folk were concerned, Goldberg, Goldberg was God. Jericho was, you know, public enemy number one for <laughs> for doing what he did, even though I loved it. Um, it was great seeing Scott Norton. You know, it was great seeing Scott Norton, but you know, <laughs> as well as having the IWGP title, um, it was just a, it, it's just a fascinating walk back into that era and you know i i i'm thankful that you guys are doing this show too because you know it's good to it's like oh fuck i remember this you know <laughs> and yeah, it, it, if, even if i didn't always want to remember it like you know like yeah. you know as much as i said you know you know there's somebody who said for the crowd to be entertained yet yeah, nobody absolutely absolutely nobody was entertained by this hogan and, and warrior stick <laughs> no nobody I, I like, yeah, it's going to be, it's why I'm kind of, even though 99 is the year that the irreversible decline has truly set in with, with WCW, 
I'm really excited to get to it because it's the year that that I started watching on the regular. So yeah, for a similar thing, there's going to be a lot of stuff I don't want to remember, but there's going to be a certain amount of rose tinted uh, reminiscence uh, looking you back know, on kind of where I was watching it. I, I know on the timeline we're we're not too far away from the you know the the, the finger poke of doom and. Tony Schiavone trying to bury Mick Foley, which, you know, backfired spectacularly, but we're not too far away. All I can say is this, you know what? There was actually a lot of good stuff happening in WCW in 1999, but it was buried under about 35 metric tons of horse shit. Yeah. You know, I'll I'll say this now because I'm sure I'll say it at the time as well, but like spring stampede 99 is a fucking great pay-per-view. Uh, you know, I don't remember that pay-per-view off the top of my head, but I'm I'm going to take your word for it. I'll, I'll go look it up after we're done here. But I mean, it, like it, I, it, I was a legit, a, a major, major fan of the Jersey triad. Oh, I so thought that good. was one of the greatest. I, I thought that was one of my, that was one of my favorite units that ever came up in WCW. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited for that. And, so. and I loved, and I actually loved DDP's heel turn at the time mm. when he was like, yeah, uh, I, I can't do this tonight because, you know, because whatever, you know. Yeah, there there will still be, like I said, even though there's irreversible decline sets in, there still always will be some gems to pick out um, and usually the underutilized ones. Uh, look, on, on that note, we, we'll leave you to it, Jeff. Thanks so much for your time uh, this hey, evening. Hey, thank you. So, sorry for if we ramble a little bit, but, you know. <laughs> oh, no, it's good. Uh, you know, the, the people we all have... Get to- when the we all get have, together. <laughs> yeah, we don't. Yeah, but once or twice a year we get together and it's been um it's been a tough show to watch and get through this week. So I think the people uh, listening will have been delighted to get to this segment uh, and get some a more enthusiastic iteration of myself and Lee than had been on the main show. That's Indeed. for sure. Uh before we let you go, uh would you like to hit your plugs? Where can people check out your stuff? Uh, you can find me at Strong Style Story without the E in style on Twitter, and my personal Twitter is at GD Wessel. Of course, uh, by the time this comes out, um, we should be uh, talking about uh, John Moxley versus Kenny Omega on uh, at AEW Dynamite. You know the the Winter is Coming episode, but also uh, check out the uh, recent uh, tribute to Diego Maradona I posted on Busting Balls. Excellent. Thank you very much again, Jeff. And thank you, everybody, for listening for another episode of Days of Thunder. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks very much. Thanks, everyone, for downloading another episode of Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder is produced by Lee Malone and edited by myself, Dave Ryan, and available every second Thursday night wherever good podcasts are sold. You can follow Days of Thunder on Twitter or Instagram, where we love to hear from our listeners about all things wrestling and beer. We're at WCW Thunderpod on both platforms. I'm at the day to Dave on Twitter and Lee is at Malone underscore 713. This has been a production of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe there for a veritable feast of podcasting content from wrestling of the past like the Worldcast through the years in the International House of Combat to wrestling of the present with Boom Goes the Dynamite and Strong Style Story and something a little bit different with Gideon Guys, Yours, Mine and the Truth and Busting Balls. Subscribe now, you won't be disappointed. Thanks. I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart I can see through the scars inside you I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart I can see through the scars